Now is the time to worship. Come. Now is the time to give your heart. Come. Just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God. Come. One day every tongue will conclude you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come. Just as you are to worship, come. Just as you are before your God, come. Willingly we choose to surrender your eyes. Willingly your knees will bow. With all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, we'll gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come. Just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God. Come. 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 I didn't, I didn't move them this time. That's where they've been for a couple of months now. <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> yes. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the mercy and the grace that you have poured out, for the spirit you have given that enables us to walk in your word, to know what is justice, to walk with humility, trusting in your great goodness and the plan that you have laid down. Lord, strengthen us that we would walk faithfully in all of our days and in all of our steps. Honor you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
my life is in you, Lord. My ring is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. In you, in you. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. It you, it's in you. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. In you, it's in you. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope is in you. Lord, in you, it's in you. I will praise you with all of my life. I will praise you with all of my strength. With all of my life, all of my strength, all of my hope. Is in you, my life is in you, Lord, my strength is in you, Lord, my hope is in you, Lord, in you, in you, my life is in you, Lord, my strength is in you, Lord, my hope is in you, Lord, in you, in you. I will praise you with all of my life. And I will praise you with all of my strength. With all of my life, all of my strength. All of my hope is in you. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. In you, in you. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord, and you, it's in you, and you, it's in you, and you, it's in you, it's in you. All right, one of the few times I actually have a list of stuff, so you're in trouble today. Um, housekeeping, church council today. So church council, don't go anywhere after the service. Real quick, a couple of things we got to go over. Not a whole lot, but a few. Um, normally that would mean there's a business meeting next week, but there's not. We're going to have a business meeting in two weeks. They decided to having a business meeting on Father's Day was a bad idea. And I'm reliably informed that next Sunday is Father's Day. I have to be informed of these things because I don't pay any attention and I have no earthly idea. So... <laughs> I, you can ask my wife. I have never once cared. So, 
So that business meeting in two weeks, the, also as a reminder, that is also the fourth Sunday, so we are having lunch in two weeks. So you have been warned. So lunch here, uh, 27th, same day as business meeting, which again is a uh, good excuse to have the business meeting quickly, right? Get it through, get the votes, get done so we can all go eat lunch. Um, reminder, no one is allowed to get sick, go to the hospital, have a pet die or anything this week. I'm, I'm not going to be here. You're not allowed. So I'm revoking all permission for you to do any of that stuff. Um, I am headed to the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. I'll be leaving tomorrow. I'll be back Thursday evening, hopefully sometime. So this is going to be interesting. I warned you guys. Well, if you came to the extra meeting, and we'll do this at some point. We'll get a time where I can give you a full report and everything. But I warned in 2018 when I got back that I said in about five years, the seeds had been sown for a lot of churches to potentially not be a part of the SBC any longer. I hate being right about all the bad stuff. So this, a lot of those things are coming to a head this year, so that's no, one of the don't. reasons I'm going. Um, can't take you anywhere. I wasn't even ready for that one. You just didn't hear what I said. I said, no, you don't. Ha ha. So all that stuff this year, so who knows what's going to go on. We'll be figuring it out. Um, I made sure to write it down. We had a wedding here yesterday. Jimmy and Renee are not here. They are off celebrating. But I was told by Renee that if you would like flowers, take them, please, because I'm not going to remember to water them, and I don't think Clark is going to remember to water them. So that means they'll just be here next Sunday wilted and dying because no one will have thought of them, and then I'll be throwing them away quickly before anybody sees them. So if you would like to take home some flowers, if we have more than four people that want to take home flowers, um, I always recommend rock, paper, scissor, or thumb wrestling. Those are the two Calvary-approved methods of determining who gets them. So there you go. Please take the flowers. Um, let me see. I have three more things so I can put the list away because I'm going to remember all three things. You ready? I have a brain in everything. Um, <laughs> it doesn't always work, but it's there. Um, we are going to actually have some ushers this morning during the uh, next song. Uh, we'll be passing a plate to take up an offering, something we have not done since the beginning of March of last year. So if that bugs you, I understand. Just go like this, and ushers will understand and, and, you know, just skip you or send it back the other way. So we're trying to get back to as much normal as possible, and that's one of the things that we have put off as long as possible. So we think we can do that without everybody, you know, having problems. So that's going to be the goal. Other thing, I say, what's the most inappropriate way to say this? Our little baby's all grown up and doesn't need us anymore. <laughs> um, just as... Uh, the last couple of weeks, some of you guys don't have any idea who I'm talking about. Jonathan has been here for ages. Jonathan uh, has been here longer than I have been here. Uh, family has grown up here, but he's leaving us. Don't clap, Clark. <laughs> That's not nice. I knew he would at some point. Uh, Jonathan has been working uh, as a contractor at, uh, at the Belvedere Assembly Plant, and they have offered him a new job in Michigan. Well, we say Michigan's so bad, but we live in Rockford. I mean, are, are we really so far down the scale that we can look down on Detroit, really? No. <laughs> I, I mean, in all honesty. So, so they have offered him a new job. They have offered him a higher salary. And as he, when he talk, called me and asked me about it, I'm like, I, what are you waiting on? <laughs> so, I mean, we get it. I, we all understand it. But as I told you the other day, we will still miss you. Believe it or not, I'm serious when I say that. I can't vouch for Clark now, but 
<laughs> Clark will miss you too. Clark will miss picking on you. Clark will miss picking on you if nothing else. But we wish you well, and we know you'll come back and visit us at some point. But I did want to let you know if you're going to say goodbye to Jonathan, you're running out of time because they're moving him up there quick. So there are many cars to build, apparently. Somebody's buying them. I know I'm not, but somebody is. So, All right, this is when you answer out loud. Who said, indeed, not even half was told me in wisdom and wealth? You have far exceeded the report I heard. The Queen of Sheba. Dun, da, da, da. Now, here's the important thing. Where did all that wisdom and wealth come from? I heard somebody mutter something. Oh, that was you back there. Oh, that was the other thing I forgot to say. I didn't write it down. Cameron is here. She, she survived. Um, she is hiding in the back. Um, I've been picking on her the last two days because the swelling from her surgery from her nose has moved down, and it's now in her top lip. So it has just pulled her entire top lip taut. So she looks like one of the characters from the Planet of the Apes, you know, where the bottom lip moves. And, and so... Can you imagine? Well, I don't know. Can you imagine why more people wouldn't just love to live with me? <laughs> I see the humor in, in, in everything, whether you like it or not. Uh, let me see. Well, hang on. What year is it? It'll be 18 years next week. If I've made it this far, I think I'm good. <laughs> At this point, she's stuck. To what? Slowly, yes. There you go. So she, she is doing well. She is uh, on the road to recovery, hopefully. They weren't able to put the packing in her nose, so she has the splints in there, which the downside to that is there was nothing to catch the bizarre bleeding you get. So luckily that has slowed down and basically stopped as of yesterday evening. So that was fun. But yes, you are correct. The wisdom and the wealth came from God. Why was the wealth given? The wealth was given because of the request for wisdom. God told Solomon, you will have anything because of what? You're ruling the people of God and because of the work of your father, David. Solomon chooses wisdom to rule well, and because of that, God gives him all the other stuff he didn't ask for. Warning of the morning. How well did that work out for Solomon? All the wisdom, all the wealth, understanding what is right and understanding what is good and proper and still walking how? It's still walking in all the way, and writing books about how he's walked sinfully and how you shouldn't do the same. This is, again, why I always tell you, never, ever, 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 ever fall into the trap of, well, you know, I did the same thing when I was their age. I really can't say anything. Because you did the same thing they're doing when they were your age, you must say something. I've made this mention in Sunday school this morning. We get pictures in Scripture of the work of Christ and the work that God is doing in his kingdom. Sometimes we get pictures that are both good and bad. You can demonstrate to someone the way to do something by showing them the right way to do it. You can also, unfortunately, demonstrate how someone should do it the right way by doing it the wrong way yourself. And that's one of the benefits of wisdom for the Christian, is seeing how other people have done it wrong and saying, I don't want to go that way. I will do something else. Solomon is a great example of that. Everything that the world would tell you is what you should desire. And yet, does it lead to happiness? Does it lead to security? Does it lead to peace? And the answer is no. Don't say this one out loud. The Pharisees accused Jesus of welcoming what kind of people? Shh. I know you know it. The point isn't that you know it. The point is, again, the reason for the question, to get you to dig into your Bibles and actually do some other stuff. So have I forgotten anything? I had a list going once, going twice. All right, then let's continue on with our service.
When upon the clouds of heaven, Christ shall see come to earth again. Will the world be glad to see him when our Lord shall come again? They'll be singing, they'll be singing, they'll be shouting, they'll be shouting, they'll be sorrowful, they'll be pain. They'll be weeping, they'll be weeping, they'll be praying when our Lord shall come again. Will this coming bring rejoicing, or will it bring tears and pain? Are you ready to receive Him? When our Lord shall come again, they'll be singing, they'll be singing, they'll be shouting, they'll be shouting, they'll be sorrowful, they'll be pain, they'll be weeping, they'll be praying. When our Lord shall come again, will you join in? lamentation or the angels gladly praying will you help his people crown him when the Lord shall come again they'll be singing they'll be singing they'll be shouting they'll be shouting they'll be sorrowful they'll be pain They'll be weeping, they'll be weeping, they'll be praying when our Lord shall come again. Work and pray till Jesus calls you. Help to gather in the grain. Then with joy you'll meet the Savior. When our Lord shall come again, they'll be singing, they'll be singing, they'll be shouting, they'll be shouting, they'll be sorrowful, they'll be pain, they'll be weeping, they'll be weeping, they'll be praying. When our Lord shall come again, when our Lord shall come again. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. 
Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high uplifted up. Shining with the light in your glory. Pour out your power and love. We sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you, I am lifted up. Shining light of light in your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Let's sing holy. Holy, 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 I want to see you. Holy, 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 yes, holy, 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 yes, Lord, you're holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. 
I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you. Add one to your prayer list. Uh, Roy made mention to me that Dan's not feeling well this morning, so if you would just think of Dan today, I'm sure he would greatly appreciate it. Uh, uh, who's running the computer? <laughs> Didn't know if you'd put Connor in charge of it yet. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. Well, I just know that if Connor's running it today, because he was helping out a little bit last week, if Connor's running it, i got to give a little bit more instruction and help out. Cameron keeps up, you know, imagine that. The adult keeps up a little bit better than the child does with what's going on. So, All right, we are in Exodus 21, so we are continuing in with laws. Give me laws, give me sweet little laws. Come on, not my worst work. I've done, I've done much worse for songs for you guys, but if nothing else, you will remember that for the rest of the day, to which I say, you are welcome. We are still at Sinai, still dealing with the laws. Why? Hopefully what we did a little bit last week showed some of the reasons and some of the ways that we can make some of this make sense in our world. But secondarily, one of the reasons why the narrative portions of your Old Testament and even the listing portions of your Old Testament are so important is because they are revelatory. How do you know that God cares about people? How do you know that God cares about the things that he has given to his people? How do you know that God is a God of grace? And the answer is, well, you go, well, I, they told me that in my New Testament. Yeah, but how did they know? They were building upon what they had seen and what the people of God had experienced. There is a continuing revelation of who God is throughout Scripture. When in doubt, read your Bible. It will explain who God is, what he is doing, and more importantly, why he is doing it. Always remember the why of these things matters. Now, that's not a misprint. We are going to try to tackle a bunch of this, and simply because no one enjoys just having the legal code read to them ever. I mean, if you do, then um, just tell us after the service, we'll pray for you, because there is something that is broken and, some, and something is terribly wrong. So I will try to refrain from just going through all of this in one shot. Instead, we will read all of it, but we'll read it as we go through it. Try to do this with larger passages to save ourselves a little bit of time. You look so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so rather than just kind of read all of this and then make sense of it, we'll just kind of go through it as we, as we get to it because we can make sense of it in that way. So with that said, let's dive right into verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Now, always ask yourself when dealing with Old Testament laws, not just what are the conditions and what is being done, but what's the more important question? 
why? Why is this is why is this command? Now, the answer to this, why is this a command? You ready? It is a fancy theological technical term, and it is duh. Yes, it's not French. Duh. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Why? Exodus twenty thirteen. You shall not murder. Always remember this. If you are a, a King James person, I believe it's the King James that translates this. I should have double-checked this morning before my brain fried. Um, translates it, thou shalt not kill. And that's don't that wrong word. There is a difference between a killing and a murder. If you've ever watched an old Western, you've seen the difference, right? Ride into town, the bad guys, he needed killing. That's just how this works. Legally, though, there is a distinction between a death and a murder. Um, I can't say he's a friend of mine, but a, a pastor that I know in Texas has had to experience this. He's actually a member of uh, several of the committees in the muckety-mucks of the SBC. But he was driving down the interstate many years ago, going 70, 75 miles an hour. And some disturbed individual stepped out in front of his car. He killed that man. But he didn't fit any wrongdoing there? No, that's not a murder. A death can occur without a murder. The command is, do not murder. Hence, there's some distinctions being made. Verse 13. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hands, then I will appoint you a place to which he may flee. Notice the distinction on worldview. We talked about this last week. An understanding that it is God who is ordaining, God who is in control of these things, and God is the one to whom we answer. We talked about this quite a bit. That is here. There's not a distinction. Either you lied in wait, or is it laid in wait? Who's an English teacher? Anybody? Is you lay in wait? I don't know. Anyway. Whatever he did, that, that's one of those. I, I try to keep them all straight. I can never keep that one straight in my brain. So if you waited for him and you were setting up a trap, who did that? You did that. Now, if you're quarreling with someone and you got into a fight and you, something bad happened, who did that? Well, I mean, who made sure he died? No, you didn't. Who is the author of life? Who is the one who holds sway over life and death? Who did that? God did. That's the distinction being drawn here. So if you could, if you could have some moral ambiguity, I wasn't trying to kill the man, what we would call manslaughter. Not even manslaughter. I was doing something. We were fighting. We were arguing. I pushed him. He tripped, and the man fell, and he died. Yeah, was, was I doing something stupid? Yes. Was I sitting there going, excellent. Now, now, if I put the thing that he tripped over there, and then you remember that game you used to play where one friend would get behind you on your hands and knees and you push him over? Yeah. If you did that and it killed him, we got some problems. But if he just fell over, then nothing there. Where is he fleeing to, though, would be a good question. Numbers 35. The cities which you shall give to the Levites shall be the six cities of refuge. You shall give for the manslayer to flee to. In addition to them, you shall give 42 cities. All the cities which you shall give to the Levites shall be 48 cities together with their pasture lands. Why is that included? Well, it's not just a place to live. In this world, can you live in a city? You've got to have some pasture land. Your food's got to come from somewhere. Now, if you are in the city and you're a, a merchant and you can engage in trade and you can make some money, then you don't need pasture lands. Um, what are the Levites doing? They, they, they got things to do. They got sacrifices to order. They got cases to judge. They got disputes to settle. They've got prayers to offer. They, they're, they're a little busy. Can they be engaged in trade to make money? They haven't got this kind of time. 
So the pasture lands are included because the tribes that are around them will help to provide for that and they can work in those fields. They can actually provide for themselves. Now this is important because if the, the manslayer flees, he is running away because he has not murdered, but he has been caught up in this. He is there to be protected by the priests. You ever wonder where a Quasimodo gets the idea of sanctuary from? Comes out of your Bible. You guys know that one, the, the uh, Notre Dame, right? I got the right name, don't I? Okay, thank you. I can only remember the cartoon. I can't remember the actual. I, isn't that terrible? Disney ruins everything. You're like, I can only picture the cartoon versions of things. This is what happens when you have children. Now, in regards to these cities, this is your recurring theme for the morning. You ready? Pay attention. They are going to be governed by grace and restoration. And that's important. What do I mean by that? Fast forward to the end of Numbers 35. The congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the blood avenger. So in other words, you killed somebody. It was unintentional. Somebody in their family is going to want to come get a piece of you. They want their pound of flesh. So you go to the city of refuge. The avenger, the person who wants their pound of flesh, is not allowed to pursue you there. The congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge to which he fled, and he shall live in it until the death of the high priest who was anointed with holy oil. So when you run to the city of refuge, you are there as long as the high priest lives. Now you may be asking yourself, what happens when the high priest dies? If the manslayer at any time goes beyond the border of his city of refuge to which he may flee, the blood avenger finds him outside the border of his city of refuge. The blood avenger kills the manslayer. He will not be guilty of blood. So in the city of refuge, you are safe. Out of the city of refuge, you are not safe. Because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Again, what happens after that? After the death of the high priest, the manslayer shall return to the land of his possession. We're done here. No more. Time's up. Because the goal of biblical law is to do what? What was the goal of biblical slavery? The Israelite has become so poor he can no longer pay for himself. He can no longer handle his business. What does he do? He sells everything, and you're now in charge. Seven years later, what happens? He goes free. The goal was to protect you, to restore you, to return you to a function in God's society amongst his people. Same thing is going on here. You go to the city of refuge where you will be protected. When the high priest is dead, judgment's over. It's been taken care of. Go home. We're done here. Go. The idea is to restore to society. This is going to become important. We're going to dive into it a little bit more later, but I want you to put it back into your, put it into back your brains right now. Verse 14, If, however, a man acts presumptuously towards his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. That should be a good description of the difference between a killing and a murder. Acting presumptuously to kill him craftily. Nobody ever gets described as crafty. The only people on the planet who get described as crafty are left-handed. I'm convinced of this. I'm serious. If you've ever watched sports for any length of time, left-handed basketball players are always what? They're always crafty. A left-handed pitcher is always what? He's a crafty lefty. You know, he throws a changeup, throws a curveball, has an 85-mile-an-hour fastball. If you're right-handed and you pitch, don't talk to anybody unless you throw 92. Just don't. Even, it's not even worth it. See, that, that explains a lot. <laughs> well, then we'll afford him some grace. <laughs> there you go. No, you want confusion. I'm ambidextrous. There's confusion. I don't belong anywhere. See, see? 
Yeah, I used to mess with my baseball players when we were warming up because I'd start throwing with them, and then I'd just take my, I'd catch the ball and take my glove off and throw it back and mess with their heads. And they're like, yeah, which one do you want me to throw with? It'll be fun today. Stop doing that. Yeah, you wonder why I can't get anything right. My brain is just going back and forth, and nobody knows who to talk to each other. But this is the difference that is going on here. See, don't you love those transitions? We snap right back to like something important is going on. There's a difference between plotting, planning, and something that is just happening. Where is that difference found? It's found in the individual. And this is what God is always measuring. Matthew 5. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, let's deal with what Jesus said and not what Jesus didn't say. If you think about strangling that person in traffic who cut you off and ramming them with your car, should we round you up and lock you up and throw away the key? Why not? Because I didn't do it. See, this is why, this is why if you ever wonder what David's talking about in his psalm when he says, against you and you only have I sinned, this is what he's talking about. When I think it, have I done something wrong? Yes. Yes, I have. Who have I sinned against in that moment, though? God. My judgment, my problem is not in an earthly court, it's in a heavenly court. The real problem becomes when I think on it, decide it's a good idea, and then act on it. See, that's when the judgment from God is confirmed, because what he has said is, all right, fine, you want to act like that? See what happens to you. Which is, again, why we don't take away the earthly consequences for sin. This is one of those other moral conundrums that a lot of Christians get caught up in. So, if you murder someone, let's just hypothetically, you have actually murdered them. You planned it, you plotted it, you figured out how you're going to get rid of the body, and you got caught. We lock you up, we throw away the key, because that's what we do in our world. We'll get to that later. And then at some point, one of our numerous awesome prison ministries finds you, and you realize how wrong you have been. You turn from this sin, you trust in God. Do we let you out? Why not? It's, this is a different person, right? Behold, new things have come, old things have passed away. We don't, why don't we let you out? Because there's still a consequence for that action. There's still a consequence for that action. And I don't ask the world to trust what the Holy Spirit is doing. The second reason is because, how do I know you're not lying? I mean, what's the, what's the proof of Christian living? Well, he was crafty once, but my point, what's the proof of Christian living? Christian living. Actual Christian living. So when you come up and make a profession of faith, do we just automatically assume? Well, yes, we do, because we're believers. But we still do what over the course of your life? We still examine. We still ask questions. We do this until the day you die. You should do this for me. You should do this for your siblings. You should do this for your spouse. You should do this for your children. You should always be examining. You should do this for yourself. You should always be examining your life, what you're doing, the fruit that you're producing, and how this relates to the call of God and righteousness. How you walk, making sure it's on the right track. I can't do that for this. So, well, uh, imagine this, prison's full of guilty people. Who'd have thunk that one, right? Now, once again, a sinful world is full of what kind of people? Sinful people. So we allow the earthly justice system to take its course because we have a higher trust that we deal in. This is why we don't prosecute thought crimes, because the problem for society is not in the thinking, but in the 
doing. This is what James is talking about, James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And he goes on, and you ask with wrong motives. See, the problem in that church is twofold. They're thinking it, and they're, and they're doing it. The problem is, when you think it, where do you need to run? For that too, Christ died. See, we have a Savior. We have a sacrifice. We have a recognition that what goes on in the heart and in the mind is the problem. But there is a Savior who deals with that problem. There is a Holy Spirit that empowers my sanctification to overcome these things. So that as I'm warring against the members of my flesh, the things that I want, the things that I desire, the bad ideas that I've talked myself into. Because let's be honest, we've never talked ourselves into a bad idea ever. Not once, right? Yeah, no, not in the least. Every time I get to that place, I can remember, ding! Holy Spirit's going, you know, the Holy Spirit turns in that dude at the airport with the glow lift, with the glow sticks, like, yeah. We're leading you where? To Christ. Christ reminds you that in the court of God, you are not guilty. In the court of God, you are righteous. Therefore, you are now empowered to do what? Live like it. You don't live like it to be declared not guilty. You live like it because you are declared not guilty. Always remember the difference there. So, let's continue. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. The answer to this question, why, is another fancy theological term, duh. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Can you honor someone that you're slapping? Like, is there an honorable way to hit somebody upside the head? I'm asking that question because I'm trying to figure out in my brain, is there any possible way to do that? And I can't come up with one, so we're just going to trust our Bibles and say, no, you can't honor them by doing this. Now, always remember the distinction here. Honor is different from obey. Honor is different from obey. Should you listen to your parents? Yes. Should you always do everything your parents tell you without question? No. No, you shouldn't. They may tell you to sin. They may tell you to do something dumb. They may tell you to do something that is wrong. And you should say in those moments, no. But you should say no honorably, recognizing your station. Because if you are rejecting a rightful authority, you better have a really good reason why you're doing it. And I don't think we do that enough in this world. Is we look at our, I mean, think about this. Think about this from the macro scale. Romans tells you to obey your government because it is an authority from God. Now, does that mean you have to do everything your government tells you to do when they tell you to do it? No. The same people that told you to obey your government, Peter in um, 1 Peter 3 or 4, read 1 Peter, it'll do you good, and Paul in Romans 13, how did they die? So they, told, they both told you to obey your government. Who killed them? Their government, which means there came a point when they didn't obey their government. So those commands are not absolute. But if we're going to disobey recognizing that the government is supposed to bear the sword from God and they are supposed to be an instrument of his righteousness, what should be the reason we are disobeying? That they are asking us to do something that is, in fact, unrighteous. As long as they are not asking us to do something that is unrighteous, we kind of do what? I may not like it, but I'm going to do it. Catch it, fall into the unrighteous character, uh, territory, we got problems. But again, we have problems respectfully because it's an authority placed by God. He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. Um, 
Go listen to last week, and that'll explain that one, so we're going to keep on moving. He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. See, this is what I love about the laws. This is what gets you messed up sometimes. Anybody else feel like 16 should have been somewhere else? Because I do, but it's not, and that just bugs me. So this, can, this connects, though, to the same commandments. Why does it matter how I speak to them? Because I'm supposed to honor them. Matthew 15. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? This is the Pharisees asking Jesus a question. How dare they? They do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Always remember, we're not talking about making sure they don't have dirt under their fingernails. This was a ritual raw washing for purification. You would, um, I'm trying to remember how to do it. Oh, you have to wash one way and then let your hands hang so the water drips. And then you wash the other way and let your hands hang so it rolls off the palms. I mean, could you imagine trying to sit down for lunch and be like, all right, hold on. <laughs> and get your elbows down. Because you know you messed up that one time and did it like this. You know where all the water went? Went right down to your elbows, and now you're annoyed the rest of the day, and you're supposed to be doing this for righteousness. This doesn't make any sense. So that's the thing that's being dealt with here. This is not, you didn't get the grease out from underneath your fingernails, which has been said to my father-in-law numerous times. Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Hmm, I think we've read that. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would have been helped to you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. This is the, uh, the Corban rule. This is a way that you could kind of set aside your stuff so you didn't have to care for mom and dad. You would say, all of these things, my home and my belongings and my money, they have been dedicated to the Lord. I'm going to use them until I die, but when I die, they are dedicated to the Lord. So I can't, you know, move grandma into the extra room because that would be a drain on the things that are dedicated to God. You know, meanwhile, grandma's, you know, there's not a nursing home, so where's grandma supposed to go? I don't know either. See the problem here? What's more important, that you dedicate these things to the temple work and dishonor your family, or that you use these resources to honor and care for those that have taught you, those that have discipled you, and those that have brought you forward? See the difference here? Notice the argument Jesus is making, however. He's making the argument of Scripture versus tradition. What's always more important? Scripture. So, if we follow a tradition, just because it has always been the tradition, should we keep it? Well, see, I won't say no. I would say maybe. Depends. Does it dishonor Scripture? Is it good? If it doesn't dishonor Scripture, what do we do with it? We keep it. If it does dishonor scripture, what do we do with it? Wee! Real quick. Now, if we are following this tradition because it is in alignment with what scripture is taught, do we keep it? Yes, absolutely. And once again, if it violates scripture, what do we do with the tradition? We ball it up and throw it out the window. Now, this is why the commands for families become so important. Families are supposed to, and every family has, you look, you have your traditions. You have things that your parents and grandparents passed on to you. You have things that you want to pass on to your children and grandchildren. Some of them good, some of them bad, some of them ugly. Some of them be like, just because my grandmother tortured me with this, you have to do it too. Every family has those. You know, my, For some odd reason, I'm never going to figure out mine was the thing of olives on the Thanksgiving table. Green and black olives in a dish on the side. And for years, my mother made pearl onions at every Thanksgiving and Christmas. And nobody ate them except my grandmother. 
And she'd eat like three, and my mother would make a whole dish, and they'd just sit there. It always ended up on my end of the table because nobody else would eat them. And you know who has to smell them and doesn't like onions the most? This guy right here. I'm not bitter or anything. <laughs> See, you have those. You have things that you do simply because you do them. They're neither, uh, they're neither evil. They're not, they just are. That's one of the blessings, and depending on how bad the onions smell, curses of family. You are the primary instrument by which the word of God is handed down. This is the discipleship means. This is what Ephesians is talking about. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, this is a sort of trick question, so think it through real quick. What holds together biblical traditions and scripture? Think higher. Say it loud. The Holy Spirit does. Now, why? The Holy Spirit carries down these traditions, hands down these words, inscribes them in scripture, keeps them for generations so that we will do what with them? Listen to them, understand them, learn them so that we may then practice them and teach them. To teach them. Always remember, if you had to sum up the Great Commission in what word, what would it be? See, we always get that one wrong because a lot of people would say, no, no, no I'm dang it. A lot of people, you know what the first answer they give is? Evangelism. The Great Commission doesn't say make converts. It says make disciples. This is not a one and done, come down, sign the card, get in the water, get out, all right, good to know you, have a good day. This is plug in, know fellow believers, disciple, teach fellow believers, learn from fellow believers, walk in this world together so that when I have problems, there are people to help bear the burden. And when you have problems, there are people to help bear the burden, whether we like it or not. And I'm serious, because sometimes there are days when my phone rings and I go, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't name any names. I didn't even look at you, and I'm not even talking about you. On the scale of annoyance, Vern, you are... <laughs> Makes him so happy. So happy. And let's be honest, you have those people in your life, too. You have those people at your job. You have those people in your family. If you do not have those people in your family, I have really bad news for you. Because if you don't know who the annoying one in your family is, it's because you are, you're the annoying one. And I'm, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you that, but it is what it is. Now, throughout human history, speaking of family, what has been the primary means by which discipleship has been done? Been done through the family. Understand that removing discipleship from the living room in the kitchen is a 20th century invention. It, it, it truly is. It is a 20th century invention. I don't think it's any coincidence that in the 20th century we had the largest growth of false converts we've had in, in church history. I, I don't think that's an accident why those two things go together. Because we have gotten too comfortable in our world farming things out to experts. In every avenue of life. Every avenue of life. I mean, case in point, you ever walked into a restaurant and started looking for the little grade on the wall? You've never done that? You never made sure there was an A on the side wall? If you ever do, always check that and then always check the number. 
because you'd be amazed what you can get. As someone who has managed restaurants, you could be amazed what you get away with and keep that egg. <laughs> and you'd also be amazed at the things that they will dock you for that gets you points taken off real quick that you didn't even think of. We got docked one day. I was putting away a, a, an inventory order. Massive truck came in. We had about a third of an 18-wheeler unloaded in our in our room, and the, the driver and his assistant could not care less where they put anything. And so they're unloading by hand truck bal uh, boxes of lettuce and eggs and things. You know where they put them? Walk in the middle of the room, drop them on the floor, and go. And I'm going, I'm trying to check stuff off, and people are trying to put stuff away, but you can't put it away until I check it off to make sure I can sign the And you know who walked in in the middle of that? Health department walked in, starts docking me because the lettuce is stored improperly. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Where's the lettuce? I haven't even seen it yet. He's like, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you 10 minutes. Thank you. Please go occupy him. Get me 15. I mean, we were about, we were seriously about to fail a health inspection because we were getting an order in at the same time. Now, why do we put so much faith in that system? Because they're an authority. We trust them. One of the great laments I have of my job is, do you know how many people listen to me just because they think I'm an authority? Some people do. I know it's frightening. I'll never forget being in a classroom uh, teaching ELP in North Carolina's e economics, legal, and political systems. We used to call it civics. Now it's, e it's e well, then it was ELP. And somebody went, Mr. LeBate. I'm like, oh, that's me. <laughs> it was just so odd to me the first time because I hadn't realized, wait, I'm in charge of something. Oh, that's a scary thought. That's why it, you get a bulletin. Let me see your bulletin. That's why you have this stuff. Yeah, it works. It doesn't matter what day it is. On the back of your bulletin, all those Bible verses I reference, that's why I just say James 4, because you can look it up. It's written down in your bulletin. Because I want you to be able to look at them and find them later. I don't want you to take my word for it, unless you have so thoroughly examined what I'm saying that you just trust me at this point. If, that, if that's the case, good. You know what you should still do periodically? Double check. Double check. I warn you all the time how crazy I am, and it's me and the other voices in my head. Every once in a while, one of the other ones might win. You should double check. And if you got a question, ask it, because you know what we'll do then? We'll pull open this thing, and we'll figure it out, because we'll go through. Because my vast assumption is that I'm going to be able to justify everything I'm explaining to you from Scripture. That personal responsibility matters, because you will stand before God one day, and you don't get to say, well, pastor said, well, the health department said, well, my teacher said, well, the policeman said, no, 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 you need to know what is good, what is right, and what is pure in this world, and then act on it. So... Now comes the rapid fire. I promise you we, that this is intentional. See, the, the notes pick up here from there. So, All right, 18. If men have a quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and he does not die but remains in bed, if he gets up and walks around outside on his staff, then he who struck him shall go unpunished. He shall only pay for his loss of time and shall take care of him until he is completely healed. Uh, this is the, uh, the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. They are demanding what? <laughs> I knew my son would get that. He watches The Great Pumpkin about 12 times every Halloween. When Sally has been wronged by missing out on Halloween and having to spend the whole night in the pumpkin patch, she wants what? Restitution! Because she doesn't get any candy and toys from going trick-or-treating. She's now just been sitting here in a pumpkin patch. She wants payback. That's what this is, though. You hit him. You laid him up for three days. Who's buying his food for the next three days? You are. Why? You hit him. I got a real-world example of this yesterday. I, I, uh, I picked up a rental car to drive down to uh, Nashville. 
And when I got there, I had to wait because the, the guy at the rental car counter was on the phone arguing with someone. And he goes, yes, I understand that's the bill, but that's your fault. I, I understand it's a lot of money, but it's your fault. And he finally, after a few minutes, that's what you let someone who wasn't authorized to drive the vehicle drive the vehicle. So you can do that, but you're going to be at fault. You can come in and get the report, but that's just how this goes. <laughs> in other words, you borrowed their car. You gave it to someone who broke it. Guess who's responsible for it? You are. Doesn't matter if you took out the insurance. They didn't. See the problem here? So at the end of the day, you're now responsible. This is what's going on here. You're responsible. You pay back. You hurt him. You take care of him. You made it where he can't work. You feed his family. If a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and he dies at his hand, he shall be punished. If, however, he survives a day or two, no vengeance shall be taken, for he is his property. Now, again, we get uncomfortable when we read this, but let's understand it in perspective rightly. Why in tarnation would God allow someone to strike a slave? Proverbs chapter 10. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. What's the biblical purpose of slavery again? Restoration, and the way you lead towards restoration is you engage in discipleship. What is the goal of discipleship? To grow in wisdom. So when you act like a fool, it is the responsibility of the person discipling you to drive the foolishness from you. This is where you get all those fun Bible verses about raising children that the world seems to despise nowadays. Because children routinely act how? Like fools. I mean, it's, it's a biblical word. It's okay. They act foolishly. As their parents, when you see their foolishness, you do what? You correct their foolishness. If they refuse to accept correction, you go, oh, well, I've done everything I can do. No, Pollyanna, you get a bigger Bible. That is always my rule in life. When in doubt, get a bigger Bible. Why do we get a bigger Bible? Because eventually the Bible is going to be so heavy, you'll do what with it? <laughs> Learn! Thank you. I've, I've mentioned it in Sunday school again. My, my, people ask me, you know, what's, what's your life verse? Remember, I don't know if you remember that trend years ago. Mine is Nehemiah 13.25. I beat them about the head and I pulled out their beards and made them swear by God. We need more of that in this world some days. Not all of the days, but some of the days. And I told them, I have to get all this out of my system before I go to this meeting, because otherwise, you know, it's a pastor arrested at annual meeting for throwing Bibles at people from the upper deck. That'll happen. <laughs> yeah, you'll know. They won't have to put a name out. You'll know that was me. There's, there's nobody else at home. That, that's just me. But that's why this is allowed. Now, keep in mind, though, do you get to, when your children act a fool, do you get to just beat them? No, the goal is not to just inflict pain. The goal is to point to wisdom. This is the difference between human wrath and godly wrath. This is why I always tell you, don't define the wrath of God like your dad in the car. See, I always had it the roughest because I, I was an only child, so I was the only one in the back seat. So when he did this, there was never any chance of anybody else getting hit and him being done. It was always me. That's how we think of the wrath of God. It's not like that. It is measured. It is precise, and it is controlled. Therefore, if you are given as an authority, your wrath in driving out foolishness should be what? As you represent God. 
It should be measured and precise and controlled. This is why the government shouldn't be dropping bombs on its own people. That's not measured and precise and controlled. They should root out the evil in their nation. How? With pinpoint precision. Just as you are supposed to do in your life, just as you are supposed to do in your children's life, just as you are supposed to invite other believers to do in your life. Our anger, our flesh, our desires get in the way of that, and then we have lovely arguments that don't produce any good fruit. Controlled measured, recognizing that we are supposed to walk in godliness. And if you can't do that in that moment, you know what you need to do? Go somewhere else until you can. So where you care more about their godliness than your anger, because that's what God does. And that's how he interacts with his children, is he disciplines, but he disciplines with precision. That's what's supposed to be here. Hence, if you don't do that, you bear a punishment. Now, if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judge decides. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint a penalty, I'm sorry, you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Your Bible is very specific, isn't it? Once again, though, what's in mind here? You did something dumb and you hurt someone. What should you do? You should make it right. You should make it right. If there is no possible way for you to make it right because you have done such damage, then what must be done? Punishment must be meted out. You, have been, you must bear a reminder that you cannot act like this in the world. That's what's going on here. Because again, the goal is to restore the wrongdoer, to pay for what has been lost, and to redeem the people of God. So you continue. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on account of his eye. And if he knocks out a tooth of his male or female slave, he shall let him go free on account of his tooth. Again, because the goal is discipleship and restoration. That doesn't mean I beat you to a pulp because I don't like what you did. That means I have to care for you and guide you and teach you. Again, the corollaries between how we deal with one another and how we deal with children are obvious. How we disciple is supposed to be in love and concern, not out of anger and winning the argument. Once again, though, we get into our flesh and what do we do really well? And I got one, and now I get to unload. Well, for that too, Christ died. And that's, why, that's the constant refrain that's got to be in the brain. Who am I honoring? Who am I working for? Am I winning an argument, or am I leading to Christ? Am I getting this anger out of my system, or am I teaching how to walk in godliness? That's what's supposed to be going on here, and that is what is in, uh, encapsulated in this law of God. Now, you may be noticing if you are thinking about these sorts of things. If not, I understand. I'm weird. Is this how our justice system works? Not even a little bit. Our enlightened, modern, merciful law is punitive by nature. Our laws are created to be punitive. You kill somebody, what are we going to do? We're going to lock you up and throw away the key. Why? Because that's so much kinder and gentler than anything else we could do. You steal somebody, or you steal something, we can lock you up and throw away the key. Because for some odd reason, we have decided that that is kinder, nicer, and gentler than any other means of dealing with this. 
See, the, the, the way that our world sees God as this great big sky meme, his, his law is restorative in nature. So hear me out. If you want a business, let's say you have a storefront, and a couple punks run by and throw a brick through your window. Cops catch them, take them down to juvie. All right, here's a strike on the record. If they get two or three more strikes, what are we going to do? We're going to lock them up. Are we accomplishing anything? Do you feel better? Is your business better? Now, what if we take them and say, all right, they're yours. How much does the window cost? It's $1,000. All right, $1,000, what's the minimum wage? All right, we'll just round it up. Eight bucks an hour. How many hours is that? They're yours for those hours. Free labor. Why? Because they're going to work for what they have destroyed. Now, will that work guaranteed 100%? No. Not in the least, and I'm not promising you that it will. Have you now been paid for your loss? Yes. Have they paid for the damage they have caused? Do you have an opportunity to teach? Do they have an opportunity to learn? Why do we lock them up and throw away the key? There you go. Christian living is a matter of thinking and working and doing the hard things. Always has been, always will be. This is why we end up pawning and, and selling out our lives to the expert group, whether it's pastor or doctor. I mean, let's be honest. Have you ever argued with a doctor? Good, because I have too. They don't like that. <laughs> but you know what? They should. Because when I'm arguing with you, you know what you're actually having to do? Explain what's going on. And as your pastor, you know what I want you to do? If you have a question, ask it. Because I'd rather have the discussion and argue with you so that we can come to a conclusion and explain what the word says. And if you find an expert in your life that doesn't want that, run away. Very, very far, very, very fast. Turn into a Mighty Python's kitchen. Run away, run away. You need that. The biblical system is restorative. Ours is punitive because we don't want to do the hard things. We don't want to actually make disciples. We don't want to teach. We just want somebody else to do that so I can be left alone. And Christianity never, ever, ever gives you that as a category. Christianity says, yes, you worked all day. You disciple your children. Yes, you did this all day. You still talk to your spouse. Yes, you did that and you're tired. Now the phone will ring. Yes, you did that and there's a problem down the street. It doesn't matter. Christianity says you care and sacrifice for the world around you, those you love and those you are making disciples for, whether you like it or not. Hence my favorite phrase that my wife gets tired of hearing, you'll sleep when you're dead. Because I don't know if you noticed, but we all turned 30 and we all got tired. Did you notice that? I mean, on, and on the whole. Like you just woke up one day in your 30s and you're like, man, I'm tired. And you've never gotten caught up on your sleep since. <laughs> I mean, and you keep telling yourself, I'm going to go to bed early and I'm going to be good. And then you go to bed one night and you sleep 10 hours and you wake up and you're what? You're still tired, and you don't know how that happened. You're going to be until the day you die. You're just going to be until you're going to be tired, and you're going to be sore, and you're going to be worn out, and something will hurt, and it's just going to be like that until the day you die for multiple reasons. The first one is so that you don't trust in you and your strength. That's number one. 
The second one is so you can be reminded that you're not working for you and your benefit. You're working for God and his kingdom. And that's why you're tired, and that's why you're sore, and that's why you're annoyed, and that's why you're never, ever going to get over it. I just came to grips with this 15 years ago, and I've been telling people since I was 25 years old, I'm tired. I'm tired and I'm old. Leave me alone. (laughs) And my wife has been arguing with me about it, and it's just true. I'm old. I'm old, and leave me alone, and I'm tired, and that's just it. Now, that that doesn't mean I'm not doing anything. It just means, why are you like that? Because I'm old and I'm tired. Trying to get my kids to understand this. It's good for them. They need to understand that you too will be, if God gives you grace, you too will one day live long enough to be old and tired. That's the human condition and the work of Scripture says, I don't care. Work for God. But I don't want to, for that too Christ died. But I don't like them, for that too Christ died. Christianity is about thinking and doing the hard things in life, about living sacrificially in how we think, how we talk, and how we act. And that's encapsulated here in the law. I own you. I want to smack you when you don't do what I want. And I don't get to. Because it's not about me. It's actually about you. And I want to be angry at that idiot who's arguing with me in the market. And I want to smack him. And I need to be careful. Why? Because it's not about me. It's about him and how he walks in godliness. And it gets me to stop and think about all of these things. Now, that's one reason. You know the second reason why our law is punitive? Because everything I just explained, the world has no concept of. Because you know what they don't have any other concept of? Eternity. Where is justice found in our world? It's supposed to be an eternity, but where does the world think it's found? You wronged me. I want justice, and I want it. I mean, we literally, this is the slogan when we march. What do we want? When do we want it? There is a God in heaven, enthroned, who says, you will have injustice because you are sinful people, sinfully living in a sinful world. So you are sinners doing sinful things to sinners sinfully. Congratulations. Isn't that fun? And the answer is no. No, it's not fun. But it is what it is, which means we won't have perfect justice, and we won't have perfect righteousness this side of eternity. But we do not have to fear, because in God we know we will. This is why the commands are. Deuteronomy 32. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and retribution. In due time their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen to you. I've said before, if you continue walking in a godless manner, it may go good for you right now. But you know what? If you do it long enough, bad things are going to happen to you. And if it doesn't happen in this world, well, I got news for you. When you you close those eyes and open them before your judge. As Genesis 18 asks, Abraham asks God, Shall not the just judge of all the earth do what is right? And the answer is what? Yes. Yes, he will. I don't need justice now because God will provide it in his kingdom. I don't have to fear that I don't have justice now because God will provide it in his kingdom. So I can do the hard work. I can disciple the punk who broke my window because what happens if he never learns a thing and he goes back and breaks another window? We do the same thing again. And if he never learns, we have done all that we can. And in whose hands do we trust him? We put him to God. Turn them over. Even Paul says it. I turn them over to Satan. Have fun with it. You want to see what it's like to live like that? Then walk like that. You know where to come when your problems hit. 
That's what we're supposed to do. We don't want to do that because we lose sight of eternity. Remember, Christian, you cannot be any earthly good unless you are heavenly minded. You will break down and get it wrong in this place if your eyes are not set upon the prize of eternity every single time. Now, this doesn't just apply to people. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall go unpunished. Sometimes dumb animals do dumb things, right? So if the dumb animal does a dumb thing, we punish the dumb animal for doing the dumb thing. This is Vern's favorite example because all his years of cattling. If, however, an ox was previously in the habit of goring and its owner has been warned, yet he does not confine it and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall also be put to death. If a ransom is demanded of him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is demanded of him. Whether it gores a son or a daughter, it shall be done to him according to the same rule. If the ox gores a male or female slave, the owner shall give his or her master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. See, sometimes dumb animals do dumb things, but if you know you have a dumb animal, what should you do? <laughs> I like it. Sell it. Bert's like, sell it. Get it off my property and let it be somebody else's problem. It's not a bad idea. Also, take care of business. It's your animal. You know it's doing dumb things, then you should take care of it. Sell it. Butcher it. Figure out something, but manage it. Build a second fence. Do something. Why? Because, again, it's not about you. It's about your neighbor. It's about summarizing the law. How do we live? We love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. This is how we live out the commandments. Remember, that's always a summary of the law, not a summary of grace. You have the power to live those out because of the work that Christ has done. So Exodus continues. If a man opens a pit or digs a pit and does not cover it over, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restitution. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead animal shall become his. Congratulations. If one man's ox hurts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide its price equally, and also they shall divide the dead ox. Or if it is known that the ox was previously in the habit of goring, yet its owner has not confined it, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall become his. Again, notice even with your livestock, even with your animals, this is about restitution and restoration. So you have a dumb animal that does a dumb thing. What do you do? Take care of the animal, and if you knew it and you didn't do anything about it, who's responsible for all the, all the actions? You are. Take care of it. Whether it's a son, a daughter, livestock, a house, that's your problem. That's your problem. I don't always like that, though. Because, again, when do I want my pound of flesh? I want it now. Nah. What if he's got seven oxen and they keep getting out? And we just can't get the right one, and they keep getting out, and they keep goring the same things and destroying my property. <sighs> Can I go get him then? No. I want to kill him. He keeps tearing up my driveway, and he keeps ruining my yard and kicking my car. Can I kill him now? No. Why not? Restitution and restoration. But he's really, really a not nice guy. What will he do one day? Ezekiel 18. The word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. 
As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine, and the soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. So I don't have to be angry about it. I don't have to worry about the, what the idiot neighbor is doing because you know who's going to deal with the idiot neighbor? God. And I haven't got to worry about it. And I haven't got to worry about his kids messing around. I can deal with what I'm charged with. I can impart wisdom. I can proclaim what is right and know that if they never listen, there's a God in heaven who will take care of you and I don't have to worry about it. Notice what has to be done in the meantime, though. Do I get to just forget you exist? No. I still have to proclaim what is good. I still have to proclaim what is right. Galatians 6. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, that then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. What Paul is getting on in Galatians, he's building on the same concept here in the law. You have a world that you live in, and this world is not always good and it is not always right. You still have to live in it. And when you see what it is not good and you see what is not right, you have to speak and you have to act. And they may not listen to you. And they may do it again. You know what you got to do again? You have to speak and you have to act. And if they never listen, you know that as I've guarded myself, because I want to make sure that while I'm proclaiming that you don't do that, that I don't proclaim to you, hey, you need to stop going this way. You're really walking the wrong direction. We really need to go the other way. Notice what I'm doing? I'm walking the wrong way too. So don't, don't do that. So as I proclaim to you, I make sure I am also checking me. As I guard me and I walk with you, there reaches a point where I can't walk anymore. You'll stand before God. And that's where we all have to live each and every day. Understanding that all of these commands are given to God's people. Always remember this. The law for the unbeliever is a, it's a hammer. It is a bludgeon. It is a blunt instrument that will destroy them because they cannot keep it. But for the believer, it is a means of sanctification. It is a guide on how we live in this world. It is an encouragement on how we walk in godliness and walk in discipleship with one another. Hopefully we've done a good job of explaining that the last two weeks as we go through this. So as we stand, we stand rightly because I can see what God has called us to as his people, and I can encourage others to do the same. And I don't have to grow weary. Because it's God who empowers. And I don't have to worry because it's God who judges. I just walk faithfully, knowing that as I'm doing what I'm called to, and I'm pointing out the righteousness that you're supposed to be walking in, you know what my friend over here is doing for me? He's doing the same check on me that I'm doing for him and for him and wherever this is, so that we walk together. Seeing what is good, working in this world for not what this world proclaims that is good. Remember, Solomon had all of that, and how did that end up for him? But trusting in God's kingdom that is to come, and knowing that in eternity, all the wrongs that we care about are going to be set right, and all the things that we're panicked about are going to be undone, and all the things that we long for are the things that God is going to provide. As we walk and we trust in that, we are empowered to live faithfully, to pay back for the wrongs that we have done, and to trust that where we cannot pay, 
in God's court that Christ has covered our debt and our account is settled. So I have no fear, I have no worry, and I have peace even in the midst of this world. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people, to see your commands and to understand that by the grace of your work, we can walk. And by your sacrifice, we are cleansed. And by your spirit, we can be faithful. And we ask, Lord, that you'd strengthen us, that you'd empower us to do the work that you have called us to do, that as your people, called by your name, we would walk in this world for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice.
Council, stick around, real quick meeting. Um, flowers if you want to take them home, otherwise they're just going to die here. So if you grab them, we'd greatly appreciate it. Let's pray. Again, Lord, strengthen our minds that as we walk, we would understand the schemes and difficulties of this world, Lord, and we would be faithful, standing firm on your word against whatever it is that may come. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.